I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and this is part of our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. It's a great pleasure today to have another CBF vice president joining me, this time Kim Koble. Kim is our vice president for environmental protection and restoration, which is really the policy shop of CBF. The staff who focus on advocacy, who work in the state legislature, in Congress, who work with the governors, who even work at the local level crafting policies and supporting policies that can help reduce pollution and save the Chesapeake Bay. So Kim, welcome. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. We're going to talk a little bit today about something that's coming up in the middle of July, a meeting of all of the governors, the administrator of EPA, the mayor of Washington, D.C., even the chairman of the legislative commission known as the Chesapeake Bay Commission. This group is called the Executive Council, and they meet annually. And we'll let uh, Kim talk about this further in a little bit. But first, Kim, tell us about the um, state-federal partnership that we have defined as the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint, when it was put in place and what it really calls for. Well, the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint was started in 2010, and it's an agreement between the states and EPA and DC, and it focuses on cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay and the rivers and streams that feed it. It has two elements to it. One is basically a number that says this is how much pollution can go into the bay, and uh, if you exceed that, you're gonna harm it. And if you're below it, then it's gonna be safe and clean. That number, in technical terms, based on the Clean Water Act, is called a total maximum daily load, a TMDL. The, the total maximum amount of pollution that the Chesapeake and its rivers and streams can sustain and still be okay, that's the number. That's the number. I got it. The other part of it are plans that the states have written in order to meet that number. So the number's um, allocated, so each state has a certain amount of pollution that they can put in. They write a plan on how they're going to reduce their current levels to meet the targeted level. And those watershed implementation plans that each state has written is the second part. And that combination is the clean water blueprint. So just to be clear, we're talking about three pollutants, basically. We are talking about three pollutants, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment. Those are the systemic pollutants that science has been tracking for decades in terms of clean water in Chesapeake Bay. Right. And science has now, really going back into the 80s, pretty much known what that number is, as you say. So the number is the threshold, and then the uh, computer models have estimated how much is actually going in, which is much larger than the threshold. Right. And then each of the states is given a pro rata share of those three pollutants to reduce in order to come down to the threshold or the total maximum daily load. That's right. And what's the deadline to achieve this? They need to get uh, everything in place to achieve that by 2025. 
Are there any, uh, and I'm asking you a leading question, there, there are incremental steps towards that? Right. So a couple things that make this uh, agreement different than all the ones that have been done previously uh, include two-year milestones. So every two years, the states have to report on their progress towards their goal uh, before an agreement would be written and we wouldn't look at it again for 10 years. So every two years, there's a check-in. The other aspect that makes it unique is that there's transparency and citizens and stakeholder groups, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, track what the states are doing and how EPA is responding to it. So we as uh, caretakers of the bay and the rivers and s streams can um, make sure that progress is being made. The third element is accountability. And so if there is not progress being made or adequate progress being made, there are consequences to that, and EPA can implement those consequences. So those three things make this a very different scenario, and we believe uh, far more likely to succeed. Consequences like the federal government could withhold federal funding. Right. That would get the state's attention. Right. Uh, the federal government could take over some of the enforcement protocols and procedures. That would get the state's attention, things like that. So there are real consequences that the feds could put in place if their partners in the states don't meet these incremental milestones. Exactly, and those consequences have been documented. EPA has a, a letter that documents exactly what they can do and will do um, to the states if they don't make progress. So none of this is a surprise to the states either. But it is a partnership. I mean, that's not uh, a term that I'm using loosely, is it? The, the, the states have all agreed to this. They've all signed documentation that they support the protocol, they support the idea, the deadlines, and there's no sense that this is being forced on the states. And in fact, the states really almost asked for this kind of partnership, if I recall. Yeah, the states are very supportive um, and re committed to those goals just last year in 2014 uh, when they signed a, another document saying, yes, we're, we're in on the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint. Um, so they're very much a part of it, and there is a partnership. Um, and they are, for the most part, doing a pretty good job at keeping this a priority at the general level. And as you get into the specifics, that's where we're starting to have concerns about whether or not enough progress is being made as quickly as it needs to be made. So our, you know, our elevator speech has always been and that the bay is getting better, but it's still a system dangerously out of balance. Mm -hmm. That holds for the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint as well. The states are making progress, but it's variable. Some states more than others, for some constituents from coming from some pollution sources better than others, and right. some not as well. So we can come back to that in, in a moment. but. The 2017 deadline for 60% of the processes and procedures in place to meet the 2025 deadline is only uh, two and a half years away. Yeah, it's um, coming up real close. And the 2017 is what's called the midpoint. Um, originally, when it was written in 2010 and... Um, the deadline is 2025, so halfway is at 2017. So this is a major check-in. This is one where EPA will be redoing the model uh, to really make sure they have good a good idea of the projections um, of pollutant loads. The states are redoing their 
plans to upgrade those and make sure they've got the right things in place. So it's um, this midpoint assessment in 2017 is a major check-in point. There's been a lot of press lately because of these midpoint assessments and milestones reporting. We've got six states in the watershed in the District of Columbia, but the big three are Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia, 85% of the watershed. So for simplicity, let's just stick with those three. Uh, in general, how are each of those three doing? Well, in general, Maryland and Virginia are on track. They have a lot of work ahead, but they are at, at a pace that we feel is um, is going to help uh, restore the bay and the rivers and streams. So Maryland and Virginia are doing a pretty good job, generally speaking. Um, Still a lot left to do, but they're at least on track. Right, okay. they're on track, yeah. um, and there is a lot left to do. Uh, unfortunately, Pennsylvania is way off track. In fact, uh, significantly off track, and will there needs to be a complete change in approach and um, practices and investment, not just financial, but human resource investment from the state in order to get it back on track. And this is um, something that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation has been concerned about for years. We have a fully staffed office in Harrisburg with an executive director, 10 or more staff, scientists, uh, policy folks, restoration specialists. Uh, and it's, it's not CBF that has assessed Pennsylvania is off track, although we agree with that. But this is based on computer modeling, on sampling, on oversight, on compliance modeling, et cetera, et cetera, coming from not only the federal government, but also Pennsylvania as well. Right. It's a really good point that the, the uh, predictions um, are based on a lot of data points, including some from the state itself. Uh, they have, going back to the partnership concept, they have a uh, very involved, they're heavily involved in the assessment of progress for their state. So um, it, it's not anybody casting um, negativity toward their effort. It really is a, truly an assessment of what they've done by them. And we could spend the whole conversation on this one question, but briefly, we're not just talking about clean water in the Chesapeake Bay as the focus of efforts in Pennsylvania. We're also talking about clean water in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Um, while Pennsylvania's uh, flow into the Chesapeake is about 50% of the fresh water, there are tremendous amount of impacts to local water up in Pennsylvania. And we're seeing a lot of river systems that are impaired or, or dirty and having impact on fish health, on drinking water supplies, on water quality uh, integrity across the, uh, the state. So it is very much about protecting Pennsylvania's rivers and streams as it is anything else. Yeah, everything from habitat for fish, clean water for fish, to clean water for drinking, both yeah. from municipal sources, which draw from surface water, as well as well water throughout the Commonwealth. Mm, right. I know every one of our listeners would probably listen to us for another hour or two talking about this, but let's move on briefly to this executive council meeting. Right now, it's scheduled for July 23rd uh, in Northern Virginia or Washington, D.C. Is the latest Washington, D.C.? Right. Late, the latest news we have is it'll be at the Arboretum. At the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C. 
The chair rotates among the different governors and the EPA administrator. Governor McAuliffe is the chair this year. Right, yeah. He's, uh, he's new to this role, so we're excited to see what he does with it. And at that meeting, this is an annual meeting. Tell us a little bit about what happens. Well, the ex executive council, as you described, are the governors of all the base states, the uh, mayor of D.C., the administrator of EPA, and um, a legislative representative through the Chesapeake Bay Commission. Um, and they've been meeting for decades. Um, it's a well-established group. They are the governing body of the Chesapeake and protecting its health. They're the ones that are overseeing this effort. Um, and so they come together and talk about progress and they talk about problems. Uh, part of their meeting is in a private session and the other part is in a public session. So um, we're hoping that the conversation at this executive council is one that uh, really focuses in on the need for accelerating efforts to clean up the bay and its rivers and streams. So the members of the executive council will meet. They will be presented with information that shows progress has been made, but the projections are that the overall region of the Chesapeake Bay watershed is not is not on track to meet the 2017 deadline. They have two and a half years. What do we hope will be accomplished at that meeting? Well, to put a fine point on on the the gap or the shortfall uh, of the 41 million pounds of nitrogen reduction that has to be achieved by 2017. We're, the states are going to be short 71%. So they'll have met 29% of that reduction, and, the, and they're off by 71%. And I don't think there's anybody uh, listening or around that can say that that's adequate and, and uh, is, is going to be productive for the Bay. So being very concerned about that, we believe that the Executive Council has a responsibility to really get aggressive about finding pollution reduction um, opportunities where they can throughout the watershed. They're responsible. The buck stops with them. Yes. And and 2017, the 2017 interim deadline will fall on their watch, as I believe all of them with perhaps the EPA administrator will be in office in 2017. That's correct. Um, all the governors will be in office in 2017. Uh, so this is really part of their environmental legacy. Uh, what happens between now and then will um, be on their history books uh, forever. Um, so here's their opportunity to provide the leadership that this effort needs and deserves. Well, that's really what we're talking about is leadership. The very future of the Chesapeake Bay, of the rivers and streams, of clean water, uh, uh, of all of us who live in this region rests on the leadership of the Executive Council and their ability to seize the day and make the decisions that have to be made to meet the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint. Well said. That's exactly right. Our listeners, uh, CBF members, the general public, are certainly invited to attend. Uh, some meetings have been heavily attended by the public and some not so much. Our website will include information about the meeting. CBF's website is cbf.org. We encourage all of our listeners to follow the press, 
the, uh, in the daily press, follow CBF's website, uh, follow our emails and information, and we would love to see uh, people come out to listen to what the Executive Council has to say in their public meeting and to hold them accountable. And uh, is there anything else our listeners could do in advance of the meeting uh, which you think might help? Well, I too want to encourage them to attend um, and all age groups. Uh, last year there were a number of uh, high school students that attended and really provided quite an important um, voice and represent, representation to the governors, uh, meant a lot to the governors to see young people out caring about their future. So anybody and everybody that cares about the Bay should be at this meeting, if at all possible. The other thing listeners can do is to get a hold of their governor and say, you know, I'm really looking for your leadership in protecting and restoring the Chesapeake Bay, my rivers and streams. Clean water is important to me, and I'm going to be watching the actions that you put in place to protect it. Uh, those messages mean a lot. Send a picture of um, you uh, in a, either out on the bay or in the rivers doing fishing or kayaking or even drinking water and say this is important to me to keep it clean. Um, and young people, again, your voice is just so powerful. So we encourage you to send letters and messages to the governors as well. Well, those are all great ideas, Kim. And, and, you know, everybody can continue this sort of conversation, this sort of advocacy on your own personal social media sites. And if anybody um, has any uh, uh, uncertainty as to how to reach a governor, all you have to do is put their name on an envelope and Harrisburg, Annapolis, or Richmond, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and put it in the mail. I'm sure the post office will get it to them. So thank you very much. This is Will Baker. I've been joined by Kim Coble, Vice President for Environmental Protection and Restoration at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Uh, we look forward to having you tune in for our next podcast in two weeks. And please give us feedback at chesapeake at cbf.org, uh, our website, cbf.org. Uh, we want to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thank you.